Well, today we are continuing our series in Luke. And over the summer, we've been following from the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry. We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him raise the dead to life. We've seen him forgive sins, all the while proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Last week, we left Jesus, as Brian was talking earlier, having dinner with the Pharisee, Simon, during which he forgave a woman of her sins, which were many, and due in part to her heart's capacity to love Jesus. So now, starting today, our verses are going to be uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. So if you have your Bible or your Bible on your phone, uh, you'll probably want to track with us as the scripture won't be up on the screen. And we're going to notice a significant shift in Jesus's ministry following upon that theme of who has the capacity to actually hear Jesus. So let us come to God in prayer and ask the Spirit for guidance in understanding the teaching of Jesus today. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts and give us ears to hear the truth as we study your word. Remove anything standing in the way of our understanding this morning, whether it be the hard shell of pride, shallowness that comes from our love of sin, or our concern for the pleasures of this world that do not align with your will. Convict us where we need conviction, empower us where we need strength, and give us the heart to follow Jesus. We ask this in his holy name. Amen. So we start in chapter 8, where Luke says, Soon afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward. And Susanna, along with many others who were supporting them from their possessions. Now what's really interesting is that Luke is starting our chapter here where we join with them talking about who was following along with Jesus. And he actually goes into great detail, more detail than the other gospel, gospels do in regard to the marginalized. And he names specific women as well as the people who are coming from town to town. He mentions three women in particular. First, we hear about Mary Magdalene, who was healed or had seven demons cast out. We also take note that she was actually the first person to encounter the resurrected Christ. He also goes on to mention Joanna, who was the wife of the steward of Herod, Cusa. So she was a, a woman probably of some wealth and means and influence. And then finally, Susanna is mentioned. We don't have any additional information about Susanna, 
but we do take note that she is probably one of the women who started in Jesus's ministry in Galilee and followed him all the way to resurrection morning. And by the way, proclaiming the resurrected Christ to the disciples who had disbelief at that time. We also take note that a large crowd from every town was flocking to Jesus. As Brian discussed last week, we think about these towns along the way. They were the rural towns where perhaps the rulers, the authorities, didn't take much note or had little concern for these people. So all the while, Luke is setting the stage. These are the people that Jesus is now going to be preaching the good news to and administering to. So now we pick up with the parable of the sower. also known as the parable of the four soils. As a large crowd was gathering and people were flocking to him from every town, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he was sowing, some fell along the path. It was trampled upon and the birds of the sky ate it up. Other seed fell on the rock. When it sprang up, it withered since it had a lack of moisture and depth. Other seed fell among the thorns. The thorns sprang up and it choked them. Still other seed fell on the good ground. And when it sprang up, it produced a crop 100 times what was sown. And as he said this, he called out, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. Well, the parable of the four soils or the parable of the sowers presented in all the synoptic gospels. Luke adds in or changes the uh, emphasis in places, but we know that the parable is of special importance because it is the only one listed in Luke that Jesus actually explains what the parable means. And notice in verse 8, he ends with this, this compelling exhortation. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Mark, in his gospel, records Jesus's saying at the beginning of the parable, stating empathic or emphatically, listen, listen. And this is the main point of it all. Jesus is calling to those who have the capacity to hear him. And he's drawing those with a genuine heart, a genuine interest, to pay attention to his words which give life. Interestingly enough, a few weeks back, my daughter was watching the 1933 Disney animation of the Pied Piper. Anyone remember that, that, that story from, from youth? And so what happens is that this mayor of this town infested with rats is at his wit's end. He doesn't know what to do. So he ends up offering a reward, this big bag of gold from the city coffers or the town coffers, saying whoever can rid this town of the rats will get this bag of gold. So magically, the Pied Piper shows up. He appears. And he said, I will take that challenge. And he starts playing his magic pipe 
which magically hypnotizes the rats and they all get into line and follow him out of the city, vanquishing them never to be seen again. The piper returns to the town and knocks on the mayor's door and says, here I am, I'm here for my bag of gold. And the mayor looks at him with a smile on his face and drops one gold coin into his hand. He mocks him saying, anyone could do what you just did. The piper, angry, saying, well, no one did what I just did, walks out into the street playing his magic pipe again. This time, the children of the town follow him out, never to be seen again. After watching this animation on TV, I heard my wife saying to my daughter, Kira, what's the message of this story? And she kind of looked with this this puzzle on her face, and she said, I don't know. I don't get it. And in that moment, I smiled because I was preparing this particular message for you all. And I listened to what she had to say as my wife explained the hinging moral of the story, which was that we are to keep our promises. Otherwise, bad consequences come about. So a few days later, I, I took the opportunity to ask Kira, saying, Hey, Kira, remember that story that, that about the Pied Piper? What was that all about? This time, she smiled and couldn't keep her mouth closed, telling me every single detail about what she saw in the video, as well as what the lesson was. You know, Daddy, you better keep your word, otherwise there are going to be bad consequences. And so I thought to myself, wow, is this how the disciples felt when Jesus spoke that parable to them? Now, my daughter, in her defense, she understood the basic outline of the story, and yet the kernel of truth, what the core meaning was, escaped her. She needed someone to come along who had greater wisdom and knowledge and explain it to her in a way she could understand. And she did it with someone who she loved and who loved her and whom she trusted. And she did it with an earnest heart. And it makes me think about Jesus when the children are rushing to him and and the disciples are keeping them away and he says, do not keep the children from me for you will need to become like children to enter the kingdom. So when we think about this, Jesus is asked by the disciples, tell us, what does this parable mean? And so he said to them, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 9. So why does Jesus speak in parables? As Brian talked about last week, Jesus is a masterful storyteller. He delivers his teaching in the form of parables so that it can appeal to a broad swath of people. Again, he had people from every walk of life, as Luke tells us, following him. 
So he had the poor. He had the illiterate. He had even those who were educated and came from a more noble, noble background. So the parable, the story, appeals to a wide group of people. Also, stories are easy to remember. If you asked my daughter after the service the story of the Pied Piper, she would be able to give it to you word for word, as well as what the meaning is underlying it. Stories also help us to remember complex truths, truths that otherwise might escape us later on. So for all of us, even if you haven't refreshed yourself lately reading the, the story of the four uh, soils or the, or the sower, you would remember it the instant I started to read it. However, Jesus also shares a very hard to swallow second reason for using parables. And in quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, it is to conceal the truth from those who might otherwise turn and be saved. The Gospel of Matthew even includes the remainder of the Isaiah quote. Verse 10, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. Blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Jesus is concealing this truth from those who are not earnestly seeking him. All these things Jesus said in parables. Matthew even goes on to say that from this point forward, Jesus only spoke to the crowd in parables. And this was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had spoken. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Oops. So Jesus goes on, on verse 11, explaining the parable of the four soils. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes in and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those, when they hear, welcome the word with joy, having no root. These believe for a while and depart in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, the riches and pleasures of life, and they produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it by enduring and bear much fruit. Here we see in this parable, Jesus is speaking almost as if on three different levels. He's talking about his experience, his ministry, as he's going throughout Judea. And some are hardening their heart to him. The religious authorities, those 
who have closed themselves off from him. Some in the crowd actually are, are magnetized. They're pulled to Jesus with joy, and yet it only lasts a short while. Others follow Jesus, but are drowned out by the cares of this world. So those people with the hardened heart, they do not have a proper response to God. And that proper response will be necessary for them to be saved. So on the second level, Jesus is telling his disciples what they can expect as they move forward and start sharing the gospel, the good news. And then, of course, as these words are preserved for us in the Bible, we can expect also that those whom we share the gospel with, some will react with hardened hearts, rejecting the truth. Others will grab it in a moment with joy, but then have the cares of the world drown it out. But then others, of course, will embrace it and allow it to grow deep into their hearts and a great harvest will come about. We see with the hardened soil, and we think about the Pharisees here, that they witnessed Jesus preaching. They actually witnessed many of Jesus' miracles. And yet we are told that much of the time, while Jesus was speaking, they were scheming, trying to catch Jesus in a trap. They were never listening to what he really had to say. They were closed off from it. The rocky soil. We can think about people who respond again with initial great joy and excitement. But then when opposition and costs come about, they flee. And of course, this captures the disciples themselves. When Jesus is brought to trial and, and arrested and crucified, many of the disciples scatter afterwards when they encounter this hardship. Many others in the crowd, we can think about the Sunday of Palms, shouting out as Jesus enters Jerusalem, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And yet only a mere few days later, they're the same people shouting, crucify crucify him. They had had the word for a moment, and then when faced with hardship, let it go. We have people in our own lives today who encounter these same issues. The thorny soil, those who are entrapped by the cares and promises of this world, for these individuals, even the good things in life get in the way of what is most important. I think about the rich young ruler that's described in Luke chapter 18 when he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts to go through keeping the law and he says, ooh, 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 I've done that. I've done that since I was a boy. And he says, well, I've got something else for you. Sell all your possessions and follow me, giving it to the poor. And the rich young ruler did what? He walked away saddened because he had many possessions. His wealth was getting in the way of doing 
what was best. But then, of course, the good soil, those who listen intently and latch onto the word of God wholeheartedly, they seek God intentionally with an honest and good heart. It takes root, producing fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. With a single purpose, they obey and please Jesus. And we think back to the beginning in chapter 8, Jesus takes the time to show us Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna who let that word sink into their hearts, giving their possessions to follow Jesus all the way to the very end. Notice this good heart. I look in the mirror every single day and I wonder to myself, how much cleaner is my heart today? Holy Spirit, are you doing your work? Are you sanctifying me? And it only takes a few minutes later when I, I'll say something mean to my wife or my daughter and I'll say, whoops, not that clean, right? I'm encouraged by the quote of Martin Luther King Jr. who says, I may not be the man who I ought to be, but praise God, I am not the man I used to be. The good soil takes time, patience, to produce that fruit. So after explaining the parable of the sower, Luke has Jesus talking about using your light. And we're all reminded from Sunday school you know, what are, we to, what are we to do with our light? Are we to hide it under a bushel? No, no. <laughs> right? We are to let the light shine. And so we pick up in verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. For nothing is concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known and come to light. Therefore, take care how you listen. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. The New Testament image of Jesus being the light coming into the world. He is the light of the world. He charges us and calls us children of light. And we are asked to be the light and salt of the world. Even though Jesus and the gospel will be rejected, the truth must shine. And if we think about those three levels, Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm going to be continuing to preach the good news. They, with the hardened hearts, are going to conspire to kill me. And when they do... What I want you to do is to go out and preach that same gospel until they kill you. So that message can be passed on to you and I, that we now have the light to share. What are you doing with that light? Are you hiding it under the bed? Are you holding it up so all can see? Again, we are to take care how we listen. 
in verse 18 that take, take care then how you listen, referring back to verse 8, he who has ears, let him hear. For to the one who has received, received what? The secrets of the kingdom of God, the light, God's word with a good heart. More will be given. How much more? How many folds more? 100 fold more. And from the one who has not the rocky, thorny, hard ground, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. And to drive this point home even further, Luke gives us or inserts here the story of Jesus' family trying to reach him as he's preaching to the crowd. In verse 19, Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not meet with him because of the crowd. He was told, Your mother, your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But he replied to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. Although we know from the biblical witness that his mother Mary knew Jesus was the Messiah, she knew he was the Christ. She believed in Jesus. He was both her Lord and Savior. And yet at that time, we have the benefit of post-resurrection 2,000 years. She was still Jesus' earthly mother. And we could imagine him, right, as he's depicted um, in, the, in the gospel of Matthew, I believe. Um, I'm sorry, the, the gospel of Mark, where he was ministering and preaching the word for so long that he had not eaten all day. And we can imagine, you know, imagine your mom if you hadn't eaten all day. Come in, it's time to eat. And some of our moms run after us, stuffing food in our mouths, trying to care for us. So we can imagine Mary being in that situation. But then we have Jesus' brothers. And we're told in the Gospel of John that Jesus' brothers actually thought at one point Jesus had lost his mind. When he had started talking about, I need to go and preach the good news, they said, well, why don't you go now? And he said, my time has not yet come. In our passage, Jesus is not rejecting his family, but rather using this opportunity to challenge those around him, especially his disciples. Jesus responds with a twofold characteristic of this true family. They hear God's word and they put it into a practice, obeying it and living it out. Mere listening for comprehension is not enough. It is false until it guides the way we live our lives. I can't help but think about his brother James. Oh, here we go. We got to track down Jesus again. Jesus, who do you think you are? 
And yet, what do we know about James post-resurrection? He comes to belief. And I can only imagine, as he wrote the words of his letter, that he was convicted in his heart. Notice, James starts his letter saying, I, James, the slave of God and my Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't pull out the earthly brother card because that didn't work out too well for him. It is his new spiritual relationship that has given him new life. And so now maybe we can understand the words in James' letter in verse uh, 22 of chapter 1. But be doers of the word, not hearers only. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves. And then, of course, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? It is dead. It is dead. Not that the works earn grace. We don't, we don't work our way into the kingdom. But when we have a heart in the good soil that takes root, it produces good fruit 100-fold. And we become doers. And maybe we're done. Maybe there's some takeaways for us, maybe. Yes, if we have some takeaways. Hardness of heart describes a negative condition in which the person ignores, spurns, or rejects the gracious offer of God to be a part of his or her life. As the writer of Hebrews declares, today, today, think about that today. Each of us has the opportunity. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We have the opportunity to take care of the soil in our own hearts. The soil in our hearts matters. And I believe it's no coincidence that as we study this section of Scripture today, and we look out these windows across the way to where we are doing what? We are breaking new ground. And as we plow that soil, as we till it, as we prepare it, what will we be planting there? We have the opportunity to plant the good news of Jesus Christ here in this neighborhood. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if I believe in my heart that Jesus is my Lord, I am going to do what he asks me to do. And Jesus' command is clear. Shine the gospel light where you are, no matter the cost, no matter the trouble, and you will be given much. We are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love our neighbors as ourselves. To love each other as God has loved us. 
And by this love for one another, the people around us will know through those actions that we are Jesus' disciples. So go forth, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do what? Not only believe, but to obey all that Jesus commands us. And that is to go forth and multiply and to make more disciples. Truly, truly, I tell you, the hour is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of God and those who hear will live. Today, choose life. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for the blessing of receiving your word. Help everyone here today who has taken in the word to have ears to hear. Let, it, let those roots of your word grow deep. Help each person here to clear the soil of their heart of cares, concerns, to uplift the rocks that stand in their way so they may produce for you in the kingdom 100-fold. And we ask for this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.